Our scripture passage for today comes from various passages in Proverbs. Please do just follow along as I read them to you. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Proverbs chapter 15, verses 16 and 17. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Proverbs 28, 6. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to dis desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Proverbs 13, 7. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Proverbs 13, 22. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs 14, 31. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God and good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here in person. Of course, those of you who are at home watching online, welcome to this Lord's Day. Just a quick uh, echoing of what Pastor Charles announced. August 15th at 2 p.m. is our congregational meeting. And so it is vital that you guys attend that meeting because we are going to give some very important and pertinent information with regard to what return to service looks like. So please be sure to mark your calendar for August 15th for our congregational meeting. And now with that now set, let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless us now in spite of who we are, what we have done, how we have behaved, how we have treated others. Father, we know that apart from the grace of you, we are wretched and lost and we are broken. We deserve no mercy upon you and yet you are the merciful God. You are our faithful Father. And we pray that as we now sit at your feet that you would instruct us once again words of life, words that give guidance, words that give us hope. For Father, we are living in a time and place where so much hope is being lost and so much hopelessness is spreading around us. And so God, would you give us insight? Would you give us encouragement? Would you give us words that will help us to orient ourselves properly in the direction to which we must go in our lives, which is a direction of obedience, a direction of faithfulness, a direction where we are recipients of your grace. Father, continue to bless us and may begin with this message in spite of the one who brings it. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Proverbs, and I've entitled today's message, What to Do with Your Wealth. That's right. What to do with your wealth. Now, I know some of you guys are hearing that, and you're probably thinking to yourself, uh, what wealth are you talking about, pastor? Hmm? I have no idea who you were thinking of when you wrote this message, but you surely must not have been thinking of me because I have no wealth. I have no money. I have no cash. And so this message must not be relevant. It must not be pertinent to me. To which I would respond, are you sure about that? Are you really sure you're not wealthy and hence today's sermon is not relevant to you? Just a couple of years ago, I came across a Facebook post shared by perhaps one of you guys that I'm Facebook friends with. And I want to read it to you because I think it really is 
pertinent in terms of figuring out whether or not today's topic and today's sermon is really relevant to you. Follow along as I read it. Quote, if you have food in your fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank, your wallet, and some spare change, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. End quote. As I read that to you, I'm willing to bet Many, if not all of you, could resonate and relate to that description, especially since many of us are of the Asian American variety. Did you guys know that we Asian Americans are the fastest growing spenders that stabilize the U.S. economy? Did you know that? We're 7% of the U.S. population, and it's projected that we are going to contribute $1.3 trillion to this economy that we call America, and through it, we will contribute to the overall stability of the global economy. And so the question that you ask, is this message relevant to you? Well, let me put it this way. I think you need to be paying attention. And I think you need to be listening carefully. Because in spite of what you may think, the numbers don't lie, folks. You and I, arguably, are more wealthier than the global population. And relatively speaking, we are more wealthier than the average person in the U.S. population. So with that out of the way, we come back to the question at hand. What are you to do with your wealth? What are you to do with it? Your cash, your income, your, your, your cash, your money, right? Well, those are the questions that I hope to answer as we take a look at the various passages in the book of Proverbs because here King Solomon is going to tell us that we need to consider a few things if we want to answer that question in a God-honoring way. So with that in mind, three things for our consideration in terms of how we are to use our wealth for the glory of God. First, we need to consider what our wealth cannot do for us. Second, we need to consider what we should do with our wealth. And finally, we need to consider how we can do what we should with our wealth, what our wealth cannot do for us, what we should do with our wealth, and how we can do what we should with our wealth. Those are the things that we are to consider so that we can honor God with the resources he's given to us. Let's begin with the first point, what our wealth cannot do for us. I'm sure you've heard this very well-known phrase with regard to money that goes like this, money makes the world go round and round. You've heard that before, Christian? Right? Money makes the world go round and round. And of course, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what that statement is saying because we all know what it's saying. It's saying that what? Money is power, right? Money is power because it has the power to make the world go round and round. That's what many people think in our world today. And who knows, maybe that's what many of you guys think as well. And of course, there's some truth to that. Money does indeed have power to give us access to people, places, and things that those without money can never access and furthermore money gives us the ability to experience certain things that those without money can never experience and furthermore money does prevent certain issues and troubles from coming into our lives that those without money can never avoid so money is power yes of course we know this but did you know that there are certain things that money is completely powerless to do, or as I put it in my first point, there are certain things that our wealth cannot do for us. And Solomon tells us what those are, and to tell you what those are, let's read the first set of Proverbs, which are Proverbs 15, 28, and 23 all together in one reading. I read to you, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Better is a poor man who walks at his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. Okay, come on back. Based on these Proverbs I just read to you, Solomon says there are three things that our wealth cannot do for us. Number one, it cannot make us happy. Number two, it cannot make us righteous. And number three, 
It cannot stay with us forever. The three things that our wealth, our money, can never do for us, it can never make us happy, righteous, and it cannot stay with us forever. Let me break that down, okay? First, money cannot make us happy. Read again Proverbs 15. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Here, Solomon makes a comparison between someone who is very, very wealthy and someone who is not wealthy at all. And it's interesting. He tells us that if you had to choose between a person who is very wealthy and therefore can enjoy a nice juicy steak, fattened ox, versus a person who is so poor that he's reduced to only eating vegetables, Solomon says it's better to be the vegetarian. It's better to be the person who can't afford a fattened ox. Now, I know some of you guys are hearing that, and you're probably wondering to yourself, who the heck is this Solomon guy? He doesn't sound like he knows anything about wealth whatsoever. He sounds like an idiot. He sounds like a fool. Does he not know what money can do? And so you might think that you would dismiss Solomon as a fool. But you know what? If you would dismiss Solomon that way, that would make you the fool. Because if you did a little background study on who this Solomon was, you would come to find there is no one who is more credible in terms of what he would say with regard to wealth. Because who was Solomon? Solomon was one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had, and he was clearly the wealthiest king that Israel ever had. In fact, some would say that he was one of the wealthiest kings of the ancient world, so much so that even other famous royalty living at the time, like, for example, the Queen of Sheba, said some amazing things about how prosperous that he was. Let me read to you her very words recorded for us in 1 Kings chapter 10. This is what she said to him. She exclaimed to Solomon, to the king, everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of it. Your wisdom and prosperity are far beyond what I was told. Clearly. If there is anyone who has credibility to give us a proper assessment of what wealth can and cannot do, it's Solomon, okay? And Solomon tells us, first and foremost, money, wealth, it cannot make you happy. Now, if you're one of those people who still don't want to take Solomon at his word, would you consider the words of wealthy people today? Because if you ever talk to any honest and wealthy people, they'll tell you the exact same thing. They'll tell you. That wealth does not bring happiness. In fact, some of them even sing about it. Back in 1997, there was a smash hit rising up the Billboard charts uh, by the Notorious B.I.G. You guys remember Notorious? Right? Back in 97, he was hit, right? And he rapped his songs with Maze, and they came out with a smash hit song called Mo Money, Mo Problems. And the chorus of that song goes like this. I don't, I, I was about to sing it, sorry. <laughs> I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. See, Notorious understood what Solomon is saying. And that is, even though money can spare you from certain troubles, money brings with it troubles of its own, sometimes troubles that are more troubling than the troubles you had before you had the money. You see? What's the point? The point is simple. If you want to be someone who makes money, if you want to be someone who has wealth, which in and of itself is not evil, you need to be prepared for the troubles that will come with it because trouble will come. And one of the most practical ways in which you can do that is by not having that foolish, naive mindset that says, if only I had wealth, I will finally be happy. Solomon says you're in for a rude awakening and you're going to end up looking like a fool and your loved ones are going to suffer for it. Don't make that mistake. Remember, wealth does not make you happy. Okay? 
The second thing Solomon tells us that our wealth cannot do for us is that it cannot make us righteous. Read again Proverbs 28. It says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Here Solomon tells us that there is a strong correlation with wealth and wickedness. Money and mayhem, or as he puts it, riches and crookedness. In other words, Solomon says is that there is seemingly a common pattern to where more money comes to a person's life the less righteousness that they possess. And this is something that even social scientists have noticed as well in their studies. I came across a Time Magazine article entitled, The Rich Are Different, More Money, Less Empathy. Listen to what it reports. Quote, looking for empathy and support? You're more likely to get it from a poor person than you are from a rich one, according to new research published in Psychological Science. In a series of experiments, the new study found that lower-class people were better at reading emotions on other faces, one measure of what researchers call empathic accuracy, than people in the upper class. An earlier study by the same researchers found that those of lower socioeconomic status were also more helpful and generous, suggesting that it's not just empathic accuracy, but empathy itself that may be enhanced by circumstances, end quote. So many people think, that if they had more wealth in their life, they would be in better position to be kinder, to be more generous, to be more empathetic, to be more righteous. When in reality, the studies show and the scriptures confirm that the more wealth comes into your life, the more wicked, the more crooked, the more selfish, the more unrighteous people tend to be. And Christian, I really want you to pay attention to this because I've had some conversations with some of you guys over the years where God has blessed you guys financially and if I kind of gave you a, a, a pastoral warning to just be careful, you've pushed back and said, oh, pastor, you don't understand. If I really work hard and I really get my due and I get all this wealth, I can be more generous. I can contribute to mission fields. I can help more with the church. I can contribute to these programs. I, I can help with a building project. I, I can help my parents who struggled so much. You ever thought that way? Do you realize what you're saying when you do think that way? You're saying that wealth has the power to unlock all this righteousness within you that just needs to be released through your money. But the sad fact of the matter is, in spite of your good intentions, the reality is, is that the more wealth that you get, the more it tends to unleash the unrighteousness that is within you. So be careful into thinking that just having more means you can be better off when in reality, you can be worse off in terms of the character that comes out of you. Because money cannot make you righteous. Now let's move on to the third and final thing that our wealth cannot do for us, and that is it cannot stay with us forever. Read again Proverbs 23. We read, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. Notice how Solomon describes wealth. He describes it as an eagle flying up into the heavens. Now, by describing wealth with this animalistic imagery, Solomon is actually trying to teach us of what the function of money should be. And you know what the function of money should be? It should be moving, like an eagle moves through the air, right? Have you ever seen one of those animal documentaries, like of an eagle documentary, and it just sits there in its nest its entire life, never flying? No, because that's not what eagles do. Eagles are meant, they're designed to be moving, and so should your wealth, Christian, Okay. We need to be making sure that as we receive, we need to be moving that wealth along instead of just sitting in some nest, piling on top of each other, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so many Christians do this. So many Christians, once they get more wealth, 
right? They hold on to it, and not just hold on to it, they hoard it. And they just hold on to this pile that gets bigger and bigger, and they use Christian language to justify their hoarding, saying things like, oh, pastor, I'm trying to be a good steward. I'm just trying to save. To which I say, save for what? What exactly are you saving for? You know, an eagle will sit in its nest periodically to rest, but it doesn't stay there. It rests so it can fill its greater purpose, which is to move. And that same mindset should come to the things that you save. You should save for a greater purpose so that it could move, move in the form of wise spending, move in the form of wise investing for the glory of God. Because I'm going to tell you now, no matter how suave, no matter how smooth you think you can be in terms of holding on to your wealth, thinking that it can stay with you forever, I guarantee somehow, some way, it's not. It's going to be gone. Take a listen to these sobering words from Michael Kendrick, who was the senior partner of Rowell Capital Partners. Listen to what he once said. Quote, there have been a couple of times in my life that my net worth has been more than 100 million. In my early 40s, I naively thought that this would last forever. Then the dot-com bubble burst, and much of what I had in my portfolio was lost. What I regret most is that I didn't invest that money in God's kingdom. It just sat in my brokerage account and made no impact for Christ, then boom. Without warning, it disappeared. Even though it is wise to save, we cannot rely on money to provide safety for us, and to think we can protect ourselves by trusting in it is foolish. It is okay to save. It is okay to steward your wealth. But it is not okay into believing that it's going to stay with you forever. Because the fact of the matter is, it won't. Okay? It will not. And the question is, is it going to leave you on your terms to where you can say that you are wise and faithful with it? Or are you going to live with regret when it's gone, knowing that you had opportunity to use this tool for God's glory, when in fact you did nothing with it and now you're left looking like a fool? So there you have it. The three things that our wealth cannot do for us. It cannot make you happy, it cannot make you righteous, and it cannot stay with you forever. But of course, this begs the question of what our wealth can do. What can our wealth do for us? What exactly should we be doing with our wealth according to God's word? Well, the answer leads me to my next point, what we should do with our wealth. Let's now read the final set of the Proverbs passages for today, Proverbs 13 and 14 altogether. We read, one pretends to be rich yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor yet has great wealth. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Okay, so based on these verses, Solomon tells us there are three things we should be doing with our wealth. You ready? Number one, we should be living within our means. Number two, we should leave an inheritance. Number three, we should love the poor. The three things God commands us to use our wealth for his glory is live within our means, leave an inheritance, and love the poor. Let's break it down. First, he says, we are to what? <clears throat> we are to live within our means. Read again Proverbs thirteen seven. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Solomon teaches us that we should always live within our financial means. And he says there are two ways in which you do that. Number one, don't spend more than what you earn. And number two, share what you can afford. Okay, let's look at it one at a time. Take a closer look at what it says in the first half of verse seven. What he says, you have a guy who pretends to be rich, right? Yet in reality, he's not. What is this describing? Give up? It is describing over half of Americans today. 
Did you know that 54% of Americans spend more money than what they actually earn? 54% of Americans spend more money than what they actually earn. That means, statistically speaking, over half of you guys are in debt because you're spending more money than what you actually earn. And why are you guys in debt? Well, for some of you, you are in debt for what financial experts would say is for good reasons. You're in good debt. You know, you're funding an education, you're buying a home, you're investing in property, and that's good. That's fine. But a vast majority of people are in debt for bad reasons, bad debt. And you know what the common reasons as to why people are in debt? Let me tell you what those six reasons are. Number one, desire to keep up with those around us, keeping up with the Joneses. Number two, lack of contentment with what our current income provides. Number three, a wrong definition of what we think success looks like. Number four, tax deduction. Number five, current gratification. And number six, presumption of what the future will bring. Many people are in debt for these six reasons. And the reason why it's so bad is because these reasons do not provide a way out of the debt that you put yourself in. And Solomon says, don't do that. Because all you're going to do is just ruin yourself and ruin your loved ones. Stay within your means. Do not spend more than what you earn. But then Solomon tells us of another way that we live within our financial means. And to tell you what that is, look again at what he says in the, first, the second half of verse 7. He says, another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Who is Solomon talking about here? He's talking about the Scrooge. He's talking about the miser. He's talking about the person who has a lot to give and yet acts as if he has nothing to give at all. And sad to say, this is how a lot of wealthy people live their life. Study after study tells us that it's those who live in poverty that share more of their resources than their rich counterparts, right? To where the more money people come into, the more they act as if they have no money to give at all. And Solomon says, don't do that because by doing that, you're not living within your means. You should be sharing what you could afford. Now, of course, by saying this, Solomon is not in any way saying that it's wrong or it's evil to enjoy the wealth God has given you. It's not. Solomon would actually say, no, it's totally fine. It's totally appropriate. And the reason why I know Solomon would say that is because he actually says that elsewhere, like in Ecclesiastes 5. Listen to what he says. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. So clearly, from Solomon's standpoint, it is totally okay. It is totally legitimate to enjoy the blessings of financial wealth that God gives you. But where many of us go wrong with this is to think that is the only reason or the primary reason why God has given you this wealth. That the only reason God gives you more is so that you can increase your comfort, increase your indulgences, increases your, your status. Solomon says, no, that's not the primary reason. It's one of the reasons, but it's not the primary one. No, the primary reason why God blesses you with more is so that you can be generous with more, so that you can share with others. And he tells us two ways in which we can do it and the other two ways of how we should be spending our wealth or using our wealth. Let me show you. Consider again Proverbs 13, 22. He says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Notice how Solomon describes a man who leaves an inheritance, not just to his kids, but to his grandkids, to his children's children. Why? What are we to take away from this? What does it mean for a man to leave an inheritance, not only to his kids, but to his grandkids? What does that mean? I think it means two things. First, it means family is more important than finance. Family is more important than money and wealth. 
Because look at this guy. Here is a man who is not obsessing over getting more future riches. He is planning for future loved ones that he doesn't even know exist yet, right? Here is a man who is prepared of wanting to not increase his wealth, but to increase his family. What does that tell us? It tells us that for this person, family is more important than finance. Marriage is more crucial than money. Children and their children are more important than cash. The first thing we must remember when it comes to the wealth that we have in the context of our family is that our family always comes first, okay? To where we prioritize our family at the expense of our wealth rather than prioritizing our wealth at the expense of our family, okay? The second thing that we are to take away is this idea that there is no such thing as the self-made man. You see, this person that Solomon is describing is a person who's trying to teach his family an important idea, an important lesson. And that is, make sure that when you enjoy the wealth that you remember, it's not because of only you, but because someone first gave to you to build off of that blessing, right? If you consider the wealthiest people in the world, the people who have the most with regards to wealth, almost 100% of the time, all of them were as successful as they were because someone, usually their family members, gave to them to where they had a foundation of blessing to work off on, to build off, to be more successful, right? And that, Solomon says, is what a man should teach his family. Why? Because of the third reason of what we should do with our wealth. So we can remember to love the poor, to help the poor. Listen to what he says in Proverbs 14.31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Solomon states that as your wealth increases, your generosity to the poor should also. In fact, he is so adamant about this. He says, this is how you honor God. Christian, isn't it your main priority? Isn't it your main objective with your Christian life to honor the Lord? Isn't that what your life is all centered on? Isn't why you live on this earth so that you can do everything for the purposes of glorifying and honoring your God? Solomon says that if you're one of those people who experiences more favor in terms of wealth, and that favor doesn't go down to the poor to where you lay a foundation of blessing on them for, they, for them to build up, kind of like what your granddaddy was trying to teach you, proverbially, then you're not living out your main objective. You're not honoring God, you see? Why do you think at our church we emphasize so much of helping the poor? It's not because, you know, we're liberals, not because we bought into this whole social justice paradigm. It's because it is biblical. We're called by our God to honor him by using the resources he's given to us to share with those who are less fortunate so that through our generosity, they too can pass it on to the poor as well. You see? So there you have it. The three things that we are to do with our wealth, okay? We are to live within our means, we are to leave an inheritance. We're to love the poor. Now, of course, all of this is easier said than done because even though these three things are somewhat simple to do, it's not easy to desire, right? Because let's be honest, the way we desire money, the way we desire to use our money goes so contrary to the way God tells us in terms of how we should use our money. Am I right? Because honestly, many of us, use our money in such a way to where we want to use it in a way that it can never be for us. And the question is, how do we shift our desires for money and to use our money a certain way so that we can use the money the way God intended it to be? Well, that leads me to my final point, how we can do what we should do with our wealth. 
Let's do a quick recap of what Solomon told us in our first point. He tells us that money cannot do three things. It cannot make us happy, it cannot make us righteous, and it can't stay with us forever. And yet, so many people think that these things can happen with money. And have you ever wondered why? Why do people think money can do these things for us, even though it clearly can't? Well, believe it or not, Jesus tells us the answer why in Matthew 6, 24. Listen to what he says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here, Jesus makes a contrast between God and money, and by doing so, he says something very shocking, very startling. You know what he's saying? He's saying that there is a tendency in every human heart to treat money the way you should treat God and only God. Let me say that again. Jesus tells us here in Matthew 6, 24, that we tend to treat money the way we should only treat God, right? And you don't have to be a Christian to realize that what he's saying is absolutely true, because think about it. What is the one thing in this world to where no matter how much you have, no matter how much you're given, no matter how much you've enjoyed, you still want more? Ice cream? Steak? A trip to St. Lucia? Right? You know, at some point, you know, no matter how much you like a hot fudge sundae, you know, you get sick of it. You're like, okay, uh, enough, right? No matter how much you love Peter Luger's steak, at some point you're like, dude, just get it out of my face. You hit a point of tolerance to where no matter how much you love it, you say, I can't stand it anymore. You go to St. Lucia for the 15th time, you're like, maybe we should go to Hawaii this year, right? You, you get sick of things that you normally love except money. Isn't that weird? To where no matter how much you have, no matter how much is given, you say, I want more. This is why Jesus says money is so dangerous. Because money is the one thing that we see the way we should see God. To where no matter how much of God we have, no matter how much of God we've experienced, we always say, I need you more, God. I want you more. See, Jesus tells us that our love for money, our desire for money, is actually a twisted, perverted desire for God being projected onto money. Okay? And that's why when you don't have a proper understanding of God and how precious and how valuable he really is, then you're going to misdirect it towards something like money to give you something that only God can give you. Because think about it. Who is the true source of happiness? It's God. Who is the true source of righteousness? It's God. Who is the true source of eternal life where he is with you and never will leave you forever and ever? It's God. Do you see? Do you understand? It is only when you get God right and see him for who he is that you start seeing your wealth correctly and start treating your wealth the way you should by living within your means, leaving an inheritance, and loving the poor. But the only way you're going to get God right is by understanding and believing the gospel message. Because what is the gospel? The gospel is the message that says you are and I am a selfish, wretched, dark, perverted, evil sinner. And as a result, we deserve nothing except what? To be unhappy. We deserve the shame of unrighteousness. We deserve the punishment of being abandoned unaccompanied forever and ever alone where no one is with us ever god has every right to treat us that way but the bible says that god chose not to respond that way instead he chose to come into the world as a mortal human being jesus christ why so he could suffer the full payment the full punishment of your sins and my sins 
on the cross as our substitute Savior. To where if you believe that message because he loves you this much, when you understand that's how much your God loves you, oh, friends, then you see God for who he is, right? You see him as your source of righteousness because you know it's through the cross that you've been forgiven. You see God as your source of forever because he gives eternal life through the cross where he is with you forever and ever. And because he is, you realize now he is your true source of happiness because he is the source of life. He is the source of hope. He is your home. He is your destiny. Do you see? If you want to get this thing known as money, wealth, cash, income correct, you need to make sure you see God for who he is in Jesus Christ. He is your greatest asset, your greatest treasure, your greatest prize. And the only way you're going to see that is by looking at the person and work of Jesus Christ. The question is, have you seen it, Christian? Do you see him now? My hope and prayer that as God has blessed you more and more with more wealth, more money, more income, that you would always hold it with an open hand because your arms is always outstretched towards the one who stretched out his arms for you in mercy and love. Hold on to that and never let it go. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to always remember that you are our greatest treasure, you are our greatest delight, and that apart from you, we are impoverished and we are truly, truly poor. And so, God, we pray that as we live our life on this earth and as we are recipients of your financial and material blessings, that we would truly be good stewards by making sure that we never mistaken the identity of our God through mammon or through money or through earthly treasures or material gain. But God, that we would see our God only through the person of Jesus Christ. Father, you have blessed many of us in this room with wealth, with abundance. And many of us are on a trajectory of receiving more wealth from you. We pray that you will steady our hearts and our minds to receive these things in a way that honors you. God, help us to live this out practically by always living within our means, by always seeking to leave an inheritance, and by always seeking to love the poor among us. Help us to do this now, for we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're not going to give.